Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, May 31st, 2019. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are currently on chapter three, more about alcoholism, which starts on page 30. And Harlan's going to read the first paragraph, which starts, most of us have been unwilling. So today's readers, we have Tenzin P on the 12 steps and Margie E on the 12 traditions and the readers of the text, Harlan G, Andrea B, and Lauren N. Let me give you the share ID for yesterday, Thursday, May 23rd, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, Eastern Standard Time meeting was 12,974. That's 12974. And the 10 a.m. meeting yesterday, 12,975, 12975. The OA Preamble, <clears throat> Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, and that is to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask Tenzin P. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Tenzin. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Tenzin P. checking in from uh, Philadelphia. Okay, here we here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
and 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Wishing you a blessed day. Thank you, Tenzin. Hey, Marge, will you read the uh, 12 traditions? Good morning. Good morning, Larry. This is Marge E. from Massachusetts. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from a primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may em- employ special workers. 9. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions. Every mind has to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Larry, and I pass. Thanks, Marge. Okay, here's how this mess um, is supposed to work. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to, to identify as compulsive readers only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year. For readers, it's six months, and there is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. And this meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And of course, we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute your phone, and once you're done uh, sharing, uh, just let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we are uh, resuming our study in the big book. We are on chapter three, more about alcoholism, which starts on page 30. Harlan's gonna get us started with the first paragraph that starts, most of us have been unwilling. Uh, just the one paragraph only. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Larry. Thank you very much for your service today. Happy Friday to everybody. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. More about alcoholism. 
most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of excuse me, insanity or death. This is an unbelievable paragraph because what it does, it is, is it's going to catapult us into the third chapter. And the third chapter is going to be the last chapter in the book that is going to exclusively deal with step one, the powerless condition of mind and body. And when we're sick and ego-driven and we think of ourselves as different from other people, at least if you're me, I will think of myself as either better than you or I will think of myself as worse than you. But when I read this paragraph and I do understand that the depth at which I accept this information will mark the urgency with which I will work the rest of the steps because step one is positioned like that. I have to accept at the core of my soul that I cannot at the same time enjoy my eating while I'm controlling my eating. When I'm controlling it, I cannot enjoy it. When I'm enjoying it, I just cannot control it. And so this, this sentence here, the idea that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession. What is an obsession? An obsession is a thought which pushes aside all thought to the contrary. The obsession of every abnormal drinker, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Now, we can think of insanity as screaming and raving and ranting. Isn't isolation that we've been in, isn't that a form of insanity? Aren't the things that we missed out on a form of insanity? And death doesn't just come at the end. The death comes in the death of the spirit for me. And the thing that I really, really need to remember is that we're all going to die. But most of us, if we're in this disease, we'll never having really, we won't really ever have been alive. And through this program, I can live a life today that's worth living. This is a fabulous, fabulous chapter. This journey is going to take us through a man of 30, Jim, the Jay Walker, and Fred. And all of these stories are not stories about someone who was drunk and couldn't get sober. These are stories of people who had contact with AA. They were sober, and because of the, the crux of the problem being the thinking that precedes the first drink that we're going to talk about in this chapter, they made decisions based on the buildup of emotions to take that liquor into their mouth and it destroyed them again and dashed them on the rocks. No chapter is more heavily influenced by Richard Peabody's The Common Sense of Drinking. And these are, this is one of the four books that most influenced the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's going to be a fabulous journey into the insanity that precedes the first drink.
with that, I will pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan. Okay, so Harlan got us started in More About Alcoholism, Chapter 3, page 30, the first paragraph. If you didn't share yesterday or so, who would like to share? Barbara E. Amy Barbara, Nancy, Amy, Amy, Reva P. Leslie W. Leslie. Ba. Basa O. Okay, here's who I have. I'm going to stop you there with hoodie. Okay, this is where, here's who, here's what I heard, but don't count on that. Barbara, Nancy, Amy, Reva, Leslie, Vasa, I think I heard Melissa and Hoodie. I'm not sure if Melissa was in there, but I kind of, I kind of hear her sometimes here. All right, so if you are not Barbara, <laughs> if you are not Barbara, um, if you would be kind enough to mute your phone. And Barbara, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I think I heard my name. It's Barbara E. in New Jersey. So thrilled to be back in this chapter, more about alcohol, alcoholism, because I so identified in with everything I've read in this chapter. My great obsession for 50 years of my long life was that I would one day be able to control my, my eating. But I'm an addict, so it never worked for me because I really just wanted to keep eating without any of the consequences. And you know what I mean by the consequences. Nevertheless, I continued to make those countless vain attempts to control my compulsive overeating. I was in complete denial my my disease constantly mutated. When I thought I could get ahead of it, it got ahead of me. That denial was my delusion, and I had to realize I was and am insane when it comes to my compulsive overeating. I truly needed to find some kind of power greater than myself. You know what we say when we, uh, one of our sayings is, a sick brain can't cure a sick brain. The actual definition of insanity is a state of mind which prevents normal perception. Like Jim and the whiskey and the jaywalker risking his life for the thrill of getting away with it, when they woke up in the morning, they probably thought, what were we thinking? Were we crazy? I know all I Every time I went back to the food, I became less and less able to take back my control. And my binges lasted longer and longer periods of time. But I still persisted in spite of evidence to the contrary that I'd someday prove myself the exception to the rule. The truth is, you know, I didn't want to put down my addictive foods. But I didn't know yet that I, I could find neutrality around the food when I heard people talking about it. I had been battling addiction all my life, trying every craze and somewhat sane diet I could find, going from doctor to doctor, taking pills, getting shots, eating supplements like AIDS, which personally I thought was candy and would eat the whole box at a time. So they were supposed to suppress my a will to eat my hunger. They didn't. 
They just got me going on more candy and spicy, salty things. I was get, I was dying, and I was also destroying my family, and I didn't want to live like that. I was depressed. I was isolating. I was angry, and I didn't even know why. Of course, now I know why. And we're going to all learn so much more as we delve into this book. So if you're new or restarting, please stick with it. It is so worth it. I bless you all. Have a wonderful weekend. I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Okay, next up is Nancy, followed by Amy. Hi, Nancy. Good morning. Hi, Larry. Thanks for letting me share. Um, Let me just start my timer. So, yeah, I... um, uh, this whole idea of unwilling to admit I was a real alcoholic, you know, I had ample opportunity in my life, nearly 50 years of being in and around OA. And um, the whole idea that I was like those other people, especially when I was very young, just didn't compute in my brain. And I'd go to meetings and it would be like being stared at by a cat, you know, nothing going on there, just being stared at, you know, and this whole, you know, the idea of my eating career, you know, a career is an occupation for a significant part of someone's life with an opportunity for advancement. Well, I've always said that the elevator only goes down. I mean, I could advance infinitely in my eating career. And, you know, it was characterized by, you know, countless vain attempts. And I, and, you know, when I was sort of neither fish nor fowl. When I wasn't eating compulsively or trying to control, I was just wanted to jump out of my skin. And I just tried really hard to, it was a fantasy, a dream, an idea that I took up endless amounts of time. I would spin these yarns and, you know, be imagining myself to be glamorous and then followed directly by feeling fat, stupid, and ugly. And you know, completely not going to be able to fit in. And I I was in that vortex and I couldn't get out of it. And, you know, it was only as usual for me, it all, it all starts with surrender. When I was absolutely stopped in my tracks by, you know, a catastrophe in my life, I had to stop everything and finally say, I don't know, help me. And, you know, once I did that, the rest of it was not difficult. I mean, it wasn't that it wasn't difficult, but I was not only willing, I was eager to do those things. And so, you know, it became light work, you know, not, not as monumentally hard as it was when I was eating to the thought of doing the, you know, what it says, you know, the leveling of my pride and the house cleaning and all that, that, you know, was insurmountable. That stuff just sent me back to the couch when I was eating. And when I stopped eating and surrendered, then it became like, oh, you know, get the groceries, pick up the dry cleaning and become recovered. It was just another thing that I had to do. Um, So, you know, today I enjoy um, a life second to none, even though every single one of my problems, every single one of them, including the one that brought me in here is alive and well. So, um, but I'm not, I'm not the same. I'm completely different. I'm recovered. And I, that no longer is a part of me in the way that it doesn't consume me the way that it did. And I'm, you know, I, my life is completely different, completely different. And so, you know, I echo Barbara, if you're just beginning, hang on for the ride. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Oh, perfect. 
<laughs> Thanks, Nancy. Okay, next we got three of my lovely teachers here, Amy G, Reva P, Leslie W. Hey, Amy, good morning. Hey, Larry, good morning. How are you? My name is Amy G. I'm, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, I'm so excited for this chapter. Although I will have to say, I don't know about you all, but you know, here we are in a chapter more about alcoholism. And there was a point in time where I'm like, wait a minute, aren't we at the directions yet? You know, where, where are the instructions more about alcoholism? Haven't we just, you know, talked about this and gone through the documentation and Bill's story? And the reality is, and that's why I agree with Helen, that it is so foundational, this principle of step one and knowing what the problem is, because if I don't know what the problem is, then the, then the solution is a moving target. The problem defines what the solution is. And until I know, understand, and accept who and what I am, a compulsive overeater, then how is it I'm going to work the solution in the totality as it's described here in the big book? The process of working the 12 steps, which brings this transformation, the freedom from this illness, from the mental obsession and the physical allergy. So I have a problem. I am a compulsive overeater. Do I truly believe that in my heart of hearts that I am a compulsive overeater? And then if that's the case, I will be willing, am I willing, to surrender to what it is? I mean, I didn't want to admit I was powerless. I came to this program thinking that my eating was the weakness, not powerless. I thought it was something I was supposed to fix with my will. I, my ego did not want to admit the omnipotence of food in my life. I didn't want to do that. But beaten and pummeled by this this disease and understanding what true powerlessness was and that I couldn't fix myself, that's understanding what the real problem is, is that I could not fix myself because of my mind, because of that warped and twisted thinking when it comes before or preceding that first compulsive bite that I was powerless. And so I needed to understand what that, what that problem was so that I could move on with a solution. And that's what's going to be smashed home here in these next paragraphs and give an example after example about what true powerlessness is because of this mental obsession. This is such a powerful chapter. I'm so excited to be here with you all because this is the start, step one. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Amy. Okay, Reva, you're up. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, this is Reva P., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I love this chapter, and I'm coming to understand it more and more the longer I stick around and study, um, because this first paragraph summarizes for me that I have this twofold um, nature of the disease, the um, allergy of the body and the mental twist. So, you know, it took me a while. It wasn't that easy to understand through a lot of experience trying to prove otherwise that I had the allergy of the body. And I was able to figure out that there were foods for me that were like alcoholic foods, ingredients, behaviors that triggered this strange kind of allergy where I had a phenomenon of craving. But this chapter um, really, um, to me, focuses on the insanity of my thinking. Like, why would I go back to do something to destroy myself with the substance that kills me when I've put it down already. So this chapter for me um, really hits home that I have like a broken thinker and a broken forgetter. And my mind forgets that I have a physical allergy um, and tells me this time it'll be different. 
Um, and more than that, it, it, it just addresses the deeper, deeper thinking, the beliefs, um, all the beliefs that if only um, this and this worked out and people should do this and everything should go the way I want. It all goes down to my selfishness and my thinking that the world and everybody in it should be doing what I think they should be doing for me to be okay and be at ease. Um, so um, then I also realized through this chapter, once I acknowledge that my thinking is off, I think I have to fix my thinking. Um, so it's such a great reminder, again, with that I'm doomed. I'm doomed with that second um, component of the disease, and the only way out is to access power that transforms my thinking through the steps. Um, and I, I just, I'm so um, in awe of that second part of my disease because I see it so much more clearly um, in abstinence. And um, thank you, God. The solution is really quite simple. I do the steps, and God does the heavy lifting with the tra uh, transforming of the thinking. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Reva. Okay, we have Leslie W. followed by followed by Vasa. Oh. My favorite Tennessee volunteer, Leslie, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Larry, Rocky Top. You know, I, um, I really love this paragraph, and I love that I'm able to share on it this morning. So thanks for calling on me. And, you know, when I, um, when I was in uh, Italy with my husband um, a few weeks ago, I was um, really reminded <laughs> on a daily basis of how different I truly am bodily and mentally from my fellows. Um, you know, everyone around me is having their pizza, their pasta, their gelatos, their cappuccino, you know, and um, I'm over here weighing, weighing my, my little four ounce portion of chicken or lamb and my eight ounces of vegetables and my, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, um, yeah, I am different. I am different. And what a humbling, ego-reducing experience that is and that was for me. Um, I am so, so grateful that I am learning every day how to accept even more. Um, like Harlan said before, the, the level of my acceptance of this really marks the the tenacity at which I'm going to work this program and continue to do the things that I know that I need to do in order to stay well, um, to get and stay well. And that, for me, means that I cannot be under any delusion that I can vicariously um, eat or drink like other people. And you know, I I know that not everyone's going to understand why I do the things that I do, and that's okay. You know, before we left for Italy, my husband was like, Leslie, how you know how hard it is going to be to to ask an Italian if this has sugar in it or that? You know, can can you just take a break from your program for like a week? Can can you? You know, and and <laughs> I would have loved to be like, yeah, sure, I'll call my sponsor and say, you know. Um, I'm going to be MIA for like 10 days, but when I get back, we'll just kick up right where we left off. And no, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't the deal. 
um, I can't put a pause button on 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 this thing on because I am <clears throat> bodily and mentally different. No matter where I go, no matter what I'm doing, and I know that today. And I just thank God that I know that, and I'm not under any delusion um, that that I'm not. So with that, I pass. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Leslie. Okay, Vasa, Melissa, Hoodie. It's like Murder's Row here. Hey, Vasa, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And more about alcoholism. And I need to have it ingrained in my head that I am bodily and mentally different from others. And I need to go over and over. That's why I do what I'm doing. You know, when we finish with the steps, then we go right back. I need to be reminded because I don't want to ever, ever go back to that experience with the food or my life any longer. And I really had no problem admitting I was powerless over the food because with everything I tried in 25 years to do to figure it out or hurt out there, I could not... I could not do it. It's not like I didn't try. I would try, put it down for a while, but I could never, never keep it down. I had no understanding until I came and read the doctor's opinion about this, the allergy. I had no clue and about the mental obsession. And to me, like it was exciting to find out the solution about the problem I had struggled for so long, so many years. And I welcomed, I really welcomed the solution. And, um, and that was the beginning of my life. I was so, so ready and willing to surrender and that I can't do this by myself. You know, even my sponsor, get on your knees and ask your higher power. I was willing to do whatever, whatever. I will get on my knees. I'll do whatever it takes. I just don't want to go back to the food. And it's a sad idea that somehow, someday he'll control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of very abnormal. And I did that for years and years, abnormal food addict. The persistence of the illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the grades of insanity or death. I would be dead today if I did not find the, you know, the 12 steps, a higher power, I, I, I don't know where I'd be today, but today I have a life I never thought I would have, and then the obsession, it's lifted, it's by the grace of God, the 12 steps, I can go anywhere, any place, and I don't have to go back to the food, and I've had to cruises, I've taken trips, and God is there to help and guide me, and, and to have this, the the, the, the group support. It's just amazing, the fellowship. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Okay, Melissa, how many? You're in the home stretch. How many more days of school? I knew you were going to ask you that. <laughs> Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, I've got a good month left well, um, of school. So, uh, yeah, I, I, was, um, I was thinking, uh, you know, nothing drives the point home that I'm not like other people as uh, taking a vacation, you know, because um, I can't take a vacation from 
um, from my disease, and I can't take a vacation from my treatment of my disease. And, um, you know, um, I it was clear to me when I was obese, right, when I was, like, starting a diet, um, it was clear that I wasn't like other people. Like, I could see it physically. It was really evident. But the worst time for me, like, as far as, like, living in delusion was when I would reach a normal body size or approach a normal body size and then think that, um, well, I'm like other people, you know, I, and I, I repeated that over and over and over again. You know, that was really, that to me is insane. When you go through all the hard work of losing weight um, and changing everything to then returning right back um, to the very thing that, you know, that, that you were, like, running away from. And so, like, the worst thing for me was always getting to a healthy body size without realizing that um, this was a permanent condition, you know. And and so um, my symptoms being masked, you know, um, was like how they could continue to grow and progress unchecked. And I really, I did not want to believe that I wasn't just like other people for a long time. Um, and then when I finally um, reached a point where, and, and we call it the jumping off point, when I could no longer imagine living with the food or without it. Like the food, it, it I could not enjoy it anymore. It ceased to be a luxury. It ceased to be enjoyment. It It became a necessity and I didn't even like it anymore. I didn't like the taste. I didn't like the flavor, and I was unable to stop. And um, and at that point, um, it was like a tremendous relief. I get it. I'm not like anyone else, um, you know. And and today, like, thank you, God, I'm not normal. Um, but it also means that not only do I have to be like, yes, diligent with my food, and I and yeah, I bring my scale places, and I pack my food to go oftentimes. But it also means like on vacation, um, I'm the nut that has to get up at 4 a.m. because I have to pray and meditate. And I have to, you know, and I've got to make contact with my fellows and I've got to get on a meeting. Um, If that continues no matter what, um, thank you for that. I'm grateful with that. I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa. Okay, after Hoodie goes, then we'll, we'll open up to more sharing. Hoodie, the uh, humidity is only 70% today. Lots of hair product. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Larry. This is Hoodie. Recovered today from Israel. You know, most of us have been unwilling to admit that we were real alcoholics. And, um, and you know, that was me, a real alcoholic, a real compulsive overeater. You know, really unwilling to admit and accept that I had this problem. I was not as bad as any of you were sharing, I was unique. And you know what? If I just controlled myself a little more, I would have it, I would have it fixed. And, um, you know, I, when, I, when I read this paragraph, when I read this paragraph, I think of the denial that I'm in and that, you know, we, we come into these rooms and we have the three Ds of, we, the three Ds, denial, um, denial, delusion, and I guess depression, something else. But um, and that's that's the three Ds where I come from. And um, being unwilling, the, the denial is the most cunning, baffling, and powerful part of this disease. 
the disease of, of compulsive overeating. And, um, and I was stuck in that denial saying, you know what, it's not as bad. Not yet. I don't. I still have a marriage. I still have a family. I still have children. I have money in the bank. I don't. Um, I'm not as far bad, and, I'm, and I could control it. And it took me a while to be finally convinced that you know what, that when I enjoyed my drinking, I couldn't control my drinking, and then I couldn't. And then when I went, and then it was either controlling me or I was controlling it, and I couldn't enjoy my life. And um, I'm so grateful for that willingness that, you know, I was able to come to that acceptance and say, you know, I have, I have this disease, and it's not about me. It's not because I'm a weak character. It's nothing. I have this illness, and I have, and there are some certain things that I get to do on a daily basis that could lift this great obsession from me, and I could live. I could live free today. Today, you know, yes, I don't, under, I don't have to understand why. Why do I have this disease? Why me? And quit all those why questions, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. And some of us could go to, to death believing that, you know, why, why me? And self, be in self-pity, depression, all that. Because you don't want to take that, that step and learn the truth. You know, more about alcoholism is more truth about alcoholism. There is a solution today. You don't have to be stuck anymore if you're willing to go to any lengths and to accept that, okay, I have this disease. It's not about me. You're not weak-willed, but there's a solution for you, and, um, and there's hope. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Hoodie. Okay, just to let you know if, uh, where we're at, we're, we started Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, and Harlan got us started. On page 30, the first paragraph only. Who would like to share? Dina S. Dina? Terry N. Terry? Lucy Kristen L. H. Lucy, was that Lisa? Kristen H. Kristen? H. Got it. Ramona A. Ramon. Let's go Suri and Mora. Let's stop there if we could. Okay, here's who I heard. If you could all mute your line except for Tina. I heard Tina, Terry, Lucy, Lisa, Christine, Ramona, Suri, and Mora. Um, my apologies if I missed you there. Okay, Tina. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thanks so much for your service. Tina asked for covered compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida. Wow. What a great chapter and uh, so many great shares this morning. And I always say this, but it's the truth. I am just so uh, on board with everybody that's in this meeting of um, of recovery today. And, you know, I, I too am, uh, been, have been one of these, unwilling to admit, you know, that I was a real alcoholic or a compulsive eater. And, uh, and, and again, you know, I didn't want to be different from anybody else. And I proved, I had tried to prove for many, many years that I was, the same as everyone to, to know I had no uh, success in that by any means, you know, and, and I love that they talk about here that, you know, you, I wanted to, to be able to control and enjoy the two things. And I could not do that. I could do one or the other. I could control it, but I certainly wasn't enjoying it or I could enjoy it. And I was certainly not controlling it. And, uh, and, and certainly had pursued, pursued this 
to the gates of insanity, you know, and if I continued, I would be dead today too. I love that I, I heard that shared, you know, but for the grace of God, you know, because I also know people who have died in this disease, uh, you know, and, and my mother being one of them, you know, not knowing that she was a compulsive eater, anorexic, you know, she died from many different uh, illnesses, which were, um, I'm sure, due to her compulsive eating, you know, and, and my dad, you know, I'm also an Alcoholics Anonymous, that's who I am, he died from the disease of alcoholism, and didn't even know, you know, it's just so today I've had that proven throughout my life that, you know, I want to be in the solution. I was at a meeting last night, and we talked about being in the middle of the bed. You know, I cannot do this thing just by listening to you all, although you sound wonderful, but I have to do this thing. I have to put this thing in, into action one day at a time. You know, if I want something different, I have to do something different. You know, I, I took too many years just sitting next to somebody thinking that maybe I could get it if, if I just sat close to you. Well, that was not my experience. You know, so today, you know, I have an opportunity one day at a time to be transformed, to have a life beyond my wildest dreams, to do a little bit of work and, and to relate to other people in the rooms and to be of service. You know, and that's what I choose to do today. What a great start to a day. And um, with that, I'll, I'll pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tina. Okay, now batting. Terry N., followed by uh, Lucy. Hey, Terry. Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. This is Terry N., calling from New Jersey. Um, I am, have been very, very unwilling to admit that I am a real compulsive overeater. And because that means I have to do certain things that I really don't necessarily want to do because my mind says, I heard this yesterday, my mind says, oh, don't bother. Why do you think it's going to be different this time? And um, my, my mind is my biggest enemy. It's, and it's very powerful. And yesterday I was thinking about that and I thought about some things that people tell me that, you know, my higher power is much more powerful and that God could and would if he were sought. And I believe that he made me press star one because I want to become more of a part of this meeting. And that means I need to get on the line and share. So that's what I'm doing. Very, very always. And I shared this before, very outside my comfort zone to do this, but you know, I have to take the action and I have to become willing because I don't want to stay in this, in the insanity of, um, compulsive overeating. I, I want to take the steps to, um, you know, recover. And I hear this, I hear recovery on this line and I, I want what you have. And I just so relate to this, to this paragraph, you know, that, you know, somehow someday I will control this and, you know, how it's an obsession and the persistence is absolutely astonishing. It just describes me to a T. And today, um, choosing to take the action to join you on the broad highway. Um, and so I'll thanks so much for letting me share. I pass. Thanks, Terry. Okay, we have Lucy followed by Lisa. Hey, Lucy, good morning. Maybe I didn't hear a Lucy. Or if there is a Lucy, press star one. If there's not Lucy, if there's Lucy, if you're not there, we're going to go on to Lisa. Maybe it was Lisa. Lisa, are you there? <clears throat> 
Lisa. This is Nancy. Who's that? I think you. Maybe I heard, uh, I don't know how I got that bunched up, but Nancy, you're up. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. Hi, it's Nancy Recovered in Arizona. Um, you know, I just remember as a kid trying to drive my, ride my bike with my training wheels on the dirt road. It was so maddening because I would get stuck in the sand, and so I would try all the harder, and I would just pump and pump and pump those wheels and the tires would just get deeper and deeper into the sand. And that's exactly how it was with my food uh, career, if you will. Um, every time I would try something and it didn't work, I'd just try harder. And I'd say, yeah, but I'm trying harder. But I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into this addiction. And so I'm very grateful we're in this, um, this chapter today because it, it just sends it home to me just how sick I am and that I am recovered today, but I'm not cured. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Nancy. Okay, let's see. Christine H. followed by Ramona. Hey, Christine, good morning. Good morning. This is actually Kristen H. Hi, Kristen. Okay. Hi. Um, I just, you know, I don't always share on the line, but I just, this paragraph really moved me because I've been thinking as I've been listening to the other callers about um, what, how I perceived that I was in control and that I had a lot of rituals around food and I had a lot of uh, beliefs around food. Around Christmas time, I would go to William Sonoma and buy a certain food. It was a pound of candy and I would spend $30 on it and I would eat it in one night, but I would tell myself that that was my treat for the day, and this was like a big thing for me, like my treat for the day. But they kept getting bigger. A pound of candy is, is a lot of food. But for me, I had rationalized it that that was just what I did. Um, and when I came into the room, I was ready, and I realized that this was controlling my life and that this perhaps wasn't what normal people did. I was also not at anywhere near a normal weight, weighing 270 pounds with a five-foot frame. So I knew that something was going on. And as soon as I heard these words, I was ready to admit that there was uh, that I wasn't like my fellow human being. But this was really driven home, and it's funny how we kind of realized this on our vacations. I've heard several people mention this, that maybe it's when we're outside of our normal comfort zones that we see these things. I was in Vienna, and my best friend, this was maybe three or four months after I started working my program, I was in Vienna, and we went to a place where they're famous for their desserts, and I, I didn't get one, but my best friend did. And I looked around the room, and there were people of all races, all genders, all shapes and sizes with their desserts. Some had half of them, and they were sitting there talking. Uh, some were you know, finishing them in a slow manner. And I just really, it really hit home for me that if I had been having that dessert, all I would be thinking about was that dessert. And if I decided that I shouldn't eat the whole thing because I didn't want to seem like I was a pig, I would have been obsessing about it the whole time I was sitting there. And I realized that really drove home for me, that no, I'm not really like my fellows. I have another thing that I was doing, and I did it well into recovery before I realized it was like a story later in the book, or sorry, earlier in the book, about uh, where there was this donut shop that 
I really liked one of their breakfasts, and I would go there once a weekend, and I realized that part of what I liked was the breakfast wasn't actually that good with being in the shop. And so I realized that this was a huge part of my addiction and that going to the, not going to the shop had to be part of my recovery. And so luckily with the 12 steps, big book and the guidance of the sponsor and my discovery of my higher power, I've been able to slowly realize these things and find more and more as my program goes on, find more and more resources that I'm not like my fellows. And every day I have to remind myself of that because this program is work. This program takes constant vigilance and constant work and constant prayer. And if I ever think that I'm like my fellows, I won't be willing to I won't be willing to do the work, and I won't be willing to give myself to my higher power. So I thank you so much for this meeting, and thank you for letting me share in the Thanks, Kristen. Okay, we have Ramona followed by Surrey. Ramona, good morning. Uh, <clears throat> hi, everyone. This is Ramona A. in Vermont. Thank you, everyone who's shared and everyone who's just done service to make this meeting possible. Um, when I think about these paragraphs and all that I hear people sharing is when I came into recovery, the word that struck my mind so much was I've been asleep. I've been asleep and I'm waking up. Um, I've had this disease all my life. You know, the smallest pictures I see are of you know, six months old on this chubby, chubby thing. And all my life I've been the you know, the chubbiest, baddest person in my environment. But anyway, I had no idea what that I was denying anything because I had no idea. I didn't hear the word addiction growing up. I was the only one in the family with this issue. No one around me did, no other kids in school, never heard of alcoholism, never, you know, small farm in Vermont, very rural, and just just didn't have any knowledge about it. And uh, as I went through, you know, got married and, and had a child and everything looked good on the outside, but on the inside, things were terrible. I was crazy. I felt totally isolated. You know, like I'm not a person. Oh, what's going on? Um, I did think where the eating was. I knew where the eating was, that I was different from other people. It was obvious. You know, and I knew what I did with food was very different from other people, and I hid it as much as I could, but being a compulsive overeater and powerless, I certainly couldn't hide it all and got looks and got remarks and didn't get dates and, you know, the normal stuff. So when I came into recovery, I finally heard, just do this, you know, this is the 12-step program and this will work, and... And uh, I could see that it would work, and I got a sponsor right away, and I went through the steps, and I lost so much weight, and I was sponsoring and everything else, but then I wasn't, you know, somehow wasn't aware that one could relapse like I did, a seven-year relapse, which was horrible until I finally finally said, you know, OA is the only thing that ever worked for me. I've tried everything else. And I haven't left since. And this meeting, this form of using the big book has been my salvation. Um, never did get exposed to it before, 
and it's just wonderful. And it goes deeper and deeper. You know, they say addiction is progressive. Well, recovery is progressive too if you're willing to work it. So there's hope, and it's wonderful. Um, and thank you all. I pass. Thank you, Ramona. All right, Suri, I don't know if there'll be time, Mora, but we'll see. Suri, you're up, followed by Mora. Hi, this is Suri C., compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Um, thank you so much for all your shares. Um, I'm so grateful to be on the line and to be sharing about step one. Um, I loved Harlem's introduction. I am... Um, using the silence, I guess, to space myself out because this is hard. Um, lack of control, letting go of control. I am powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable. I, am, I had a week where I had some version of abstinence. I know because I know how I was around the food and I know how I was around my coworkers and around my family. And then I got thrown for a loop and here I am, not abstinent again, and I'm still starting. I'm still taking baby steps. And so for those who I can share my struggle with on this line, I am newish to OA. I started about two and a half years ago, um, and it's a slow process, but I'm so grateful. I look back and I see where I was two and a half years ago, and I still don't have abstinence. I don't, and I, I'm working to put the food down, but it's I'm such an emotional eater. I am, and I have a mental twist, and I am just working the steps, and I'm showing up every day, and I'm working to identify in because every time I want to say I'm not an alcoholic, every time I want to say I'm not an overeater, I am just working to control. I'm working to create my own version of reality, but, and, but I'm not seeing myself as right-sized. I need to see myself as the right size. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share here. I'm so grateful for this line. So, um, you know, I started off my day. I said, I'm going to be asking it. And guess what? Even now, as I'm on the phone, I wasn't. And I'm working. It's, it's minute by minute, hour by hour. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. So um, keep showing up. Keep identifying in. I'm not an alcoholic. I had some alcohol a few nights ago, and I was able to put it down and throw the rest down the drain. But for me, the food... It, it's it's a cunning and baffling thing. So um, thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for this group. And thank you for new habits and new opportunities for positivity and positive change and strength of will and strength of character. So I, strength of will, unwilling, right? Most of us have been unwilling. I am working on that will, on that, you know, letting go of the control and recognizing that in letting go, I am willing to make that change. So thank you. With that, I pass. Thanks so much, Suri. Sorry, Maura, can we get you in the next hour? My apologies that I didn't have that all figured out. Um, and I want to thank everyone for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, makes the, the meeting wonderful. Uh, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Let me give you the share ID for today, which is uh, May 31st for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. That number is 12,977. That's 12977. So we are now going to close with a reading from the big book on page uh, 164, followed by the serenity prayer. 
And Andrea B, are you available to do that reading for us? Andrea, press star one if you would. Sorry about that. Thank you so much. I am available, and thank you for your service. Our Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come, if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely to what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the happy road of destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.